The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. I'm excited to introduce to you Dr. Dave Vance. He's a great friend. He's been a friend of Lifehouse Church and a friend of me for many, many years. And uh, he worked with us right here in Hagerstown. Many of our outreach events, he was partnered with us. He pastored in this community at FCF. And then God called him out to Mansfield, Ohio to pastor Crossroads Community Church where he took over and led that church to being an incredible uh, community and region impacting church with multiple sites, uh, not just in their region, but even in a prison. And uh, they have grown incredibly. Uh, They've been featured on the Outreach Magazine's top 100 churches now for a fastest growing churches for a few years in a row. Uh, Dave is a, a humble man a godly man, a good and godly father and husband. I have a great respect for him. And so it's my honor to welcome him to Lifehouse Church. And so whether you're gonna see Pastor Dave in person or on video, would you give him a huge round of applause right now? What's up, Lifehouse? It's so great to be with you. And let me say a big welcome to those of you at the Chambersburg campus and those of you joining us online in your living room or wherever you are. It's such an honor to be with you. And as Patrick said, I'm honored to be able to be a friend and a co-labor in Christ with Patrick. He has been a close friend of mine. And what I love about Patrick and I's relationship is not only have we served together, uh, but we actually served together here in this city uh, and now across regions in Ohio and here in Maryland, we're seeing God do some amazing things. And what I love is he's a phone call away. I can pick up the phone and say, hey, Pastor Patrick, would you pray for me? And he can pick up a phone and say, hey, Dave, would you pray for me? And and we keep each other accountable. We pray for each other. We talk about what God is doing in our churches. We challenge each other and we we, we dive in together. And what I love about Patrick, and, and I don't know if you know this or not, and I want to speak as a church some things that maybe you don't see behind the scenes, but this past 18 months have been some of the most difficult ministry experience we have ever experienced as pastors. I can speak for Patrick in that way. I know for me, it's been greatly difficult. What I can tell you is they don't have a class in seminary on how to lead a church through a worldwide pandemic. They don't teach you that. But what I love about your pastor is in a season where many pastors were throwing their hands in the air and saying, I give up. In a season where many people were giving in, your pastor wasn't throwing his hands in the air saying, I give up, I don't know what to do. No, instead, he was casting vision forward. And that's a rare breed in our culture today to have a pastor who, who leads into vision, not away from it. And I love that about Patrick. He inspires me and I'm so thankful for calling him friend. It's an honor to be with you. If you want to take your Bibles out with me, if you have one or electronic device, and turn to John chapter 14, John chapter 14 in the New Testament. You know, it's true, this is kind of vacation season right now, and one of the things I love about vacation is that vacation is really a picture of a moment of rest, right? The reason we go on vacation is because we're trying to find a moment of tranquility and peace. It is probably the epic of all peace searches. It is that I just want to take a break, I want to get away, and I want to go on vacation. Now, I know that's true for my family. Uh, I have my wife, Allison, and four sons. And my four sons, as they were growing up, we realized the importance of getting away and going on vacation. 
And as the boys were getting older for a while, we had stock in diapers, of course, having four boys. As they grew older, we went to the Outer Banks on vacation on multiple times. And every time we go on a vacation, it was the same journey. We wanted to have peace as a family. We wanted to enjoy the experience and get away from the bustle and bustle and turmoil of life. And so they were on vacation and the Outer Banks on a beautiful day where the sun was out and our boys were old enough now to swim in the shallow waters of the ocean together. And so there, my wife and I was sitting on the coasts and watching our boys play in the ocean and looking at one another and watching who I call baby love, my wife, and saying to her poetry, right? Because that's what you do in a romantic moment. Things like roses are red, violets are blue. When I think of you, I go, woohoo. Now, single guys, you can use that. That'll get you a mate. Like, you can use that. It's going to be good for you. I promise it'll work. But we're sitting on the beach, and it's absolutely beautiful. The boys are playing. Here we are looking at each other, just enjoying the peace and tranquility of vacation. Then all of a sudden, I looked over to my wife, and there was a painstaking look in her face. There was a face of turmoil. It was almost like something drastic had just happened. And so I looked at her and I said, baby love, what's going on? And she couldn't even get her breath out. She couldn't speak. And she began to point into the ocean. And so I stand up and I look out. And there about 10 feet from where my boys were swimming was a fin. And not just any fin. It was a pointed fin. It was a shark. Now, I want you to think about this. What do you do when you see a shark? Like, what I knew is I couldn't just yell, shark, get out of the water, because then they would splash around, and the shark would eat them. And so I had to use some wisdom, so I began to walk rapidly to the edge of the water and look at my boys and say, get out. They looked at me as if I had three heads, because that's what they do, they're boys. And so I looked back at them and gave them the dad look, you, now, here. And they began to come out of the water. In that moment, everything in me wanted to become Jason Momoa and become Aquaman. I wanted to control that situation as I watched this shark swarm around my boys. Now, I know for most of us, maybe you haven't had that experience, but in some ways we feel that, don't we? Like in life, sometimes it seems to just be cruising along. Things are going well. Maybe for you, proverbially, there is a rippling brook in your life. Or maybe for you, proverbially, there's the, the lapping of the waves that just bring you peace. And things are going well. And then it seems like all of a sudden, out of the blue, there's a shark. A shark shows up. That shark could be a bill that you can't pay. That shark could be a health report that you receive. That shark could be a difficult situation that you walk through in a relationship. That shark could be uh, uh, kids that are rebelling against what you're calling them to do, right? These sharks show up in our lives and leave us desiring and searching for peace. And we begin to do that search. We look for something that will calm our hearts. We look for something that will still our souls. We look for something that we can put our feet on but there doesn't seem to be any. And we search and search and search for something that will bring us peace. And it seems that the more we search, the more we're filled with fatigue, with anxiety, with exhaustion, and with fear. We feel it. In fact, can I tell you, that's the cry of the culture right now. We're seeing it right before our eyes. There is a feeling of a desire for peace. 
I mean, just ponder it for a moment. Celebrities demand it. Pop culture makes it a tune and sings about it. Activists protest for peace. It is the cry of our culture. Everyone is looking for something to escape the chaos and confusion we feel in life. The problem is all we are are more exhausted, more frustrated, and more anxiety-filled. We all feel the weight of this. In fact, I did a search on Google. And if you were to go to Google and you were to search the word peace, you would find that there are 1 billion, 500 million different results for the word peace. This search that all of us have is elusive. It's hard to find. It's difficult. But can I tell you, the Bible doesn't leave us empty-handed. And in fact, over 792 verses in the Bible make a reference toward peace. And so the Bible has something to say about the reality of peace. And I want to show you one of those moments. What I would maybe say to you is one of the most intimate moments in the entire Bible. It certainly is one of the most intimate moments in Jesus' ministry. Found here in John chapter 14 as Jesus gathers his disciples in this small upper room the night before he dies. And he gathers them together to have this conversation with them, to describe to them what's about to happen. And so he gathers these disciples, and he begins to speak to them. I want to read to you what it says in John chapter 14, verse 1. It says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, why would Jesus have to say, don't let your heart be troubled? Well, if you read right before this, in John chapter 13, he washes their feet, and then he describes to them how he is about to exit, how he is about to have an expiration date on his earthly ministry. And so here they are, his disciples hearing this, and Peter, the one apostle, the one disciple, responds and says, no, 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 I'm going to go with you. And Jesus says, no, no, where I go, you cannot come. And here they were, overwhelmed. Like, what do they do? They've been with Jesus for three and a half years. They've heard every word he taught. They've seen every miracle he performed. They watched him in action. How do you respond? What do you do? Where do you run? Where can they go? I mean, they can't go back to being fishermen. They've already lost that job. I mean, will the Romans come and maybe kill them for following Jesus? Like, what's going to happen in their life? There's some concern here. Uh, There's some... There's some anxiety. There's some worry. And Jesus responds and says, do not let your heart be troubled. Now, can I just confess to you for a moment something real? I read that. And if we're just being honest about God's word, I read that and I think, that sounds great. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm just going to go do that, Jesus. Thank you. I mean, it reminds me of my mom. Now, my mom, when I would fall down, she used to say, get up and walk it off. You ever heard that expression? Like you fall down, you bump your knee, you rub your elbow and it's scratch. Well, get up and walk it off, it's gonna be fine. You almost get that impression when you read John 14, verse one. Don't don't let your heart be troubled, oh, that's great, right? How do you not be troubled? You just stop being troubled? Like how does that work, right? It doesn't work. And so Jesus is going to build a case for his disciples to prove that what he is saying is true. Do not let your heart be troubled. And then he's going to give us the why. And a few verses later, he describes this to them. He says in verse 27, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, 
neither let them be afraid. Now, when Jesus said the word peace, this word would have been a common word in their language. Now, certainly the New Testament is written in Greek, uh, but the language they would have spoken most likely was Hebrew or Aramaic. And in Hebrew, there was a common word that's seen over 400 times in the Old Testament, and that word is the word shalom. And when you would see somebody in the first century, specifically Jewish people, they would respond with the word shalom to you. But shalom in its depth has a different meaning. It's not just, hey, what's up, how you doing? Shalom actually means that the cracks in the walls of your building have been filled. In fact, shalom was a word that had the inclination that there is a home that doesn't have any cracks. There is a building that is fortified. So when you would say to someone, shalom, what you're saying is, I hope your cracks are filled. I hope there aren't spaces in your wall. I hope there's not any attack coming in. And so Jesus here says, peace, I leave with you my peace I give you. Now I want to make a few observations about what Jesus is telling his disciples. And number one is this, peace is a personal gift. I want you to notice the emphasis in that text on Jesus giving something himself. He says, peace I leave with you, and then he repeats it, my peace I give to you. Now this is eye-opening. This, this, this should rock our worlds to think about this in this moment. Here is Jesus. One day before he is going to go to a cross, he is going to go to a cross where he will be tortured, he will be beaten, he will be mocked, and he will be scorned. I don't know about you, but let's just ponder for a moment that we were Jesus in that moment. And let's say that next day you knew death was going to come and it was going to be the most horrific death in all of humanity. The most horrific death that you could ever face. What would you be doing? Let me me tell you what I would be doing. Now, I'm from Hagerstown. I'm from the West End. Anybody? If you're, from, if you're in Chambersburg, you don't understand the West End, but we're from the West End. I went to Winter Street Elementary School. If you're young, you don't know where that's at now. I went to Western Heights Middle School, and it's a true story. I got in one little fight in seventh grade, and my mom got scared and said, you're going to Christian school. <laughs> and so I grew up going to local inner city public schools. And I got in one fight, and I went to a Christian school for high school. If this was me in this moment, I wouldn't care about you. If this was me in this moment, you know what I'd be doing? I'd be going to the West End saying, hey, buddy, we're West Enders together. You want to go fight with me? Hey, hey, you guys, you guys willing to come? They might take me captive. They might beat me and score me. I would need some people come along with me. Let's, let's start a war. Let's make a fight. Right? That would be my reaction. But Jesus, now think about this. He is about ready to die. He's about ready to be tortured. And what does he do? He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Jesus understood that next day he was going to go to the cross and the Bible says that he would become our peace. He understood that he could only give that gift and that gift was right from his hand. It was right from his sacrifice to you and I. See, peace is not something you can find. It's something that's been given. It's been given by the work of Christ on a cross, by the goodness of Christ walking out of a grave. Peace is a personal gift. 
Notice what he says next. He says, not only do I give you this peace, but then he describes it a little bit further. He says, not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Now, what does he mean by that? Like he says, I'm going to give you peace, but I'm not going to do it as the world gives you. Now, I want you to think about peace in this world. Right, peace in this world is a little bit different. In fact, I would dare say that peace is radically different than our experience of peace. Right, so in this world, peace comes based upon circumstance. Right, so when you and I think of peace, we think of peace treaties, or we think of the absence of difficulty. I have peace, why? Because there's no difficulty. I have peace, why? I'm on vacation, I don't have to work. I have peace, why? My health is good, things are going well. We think of peace as circumstantial. Secondly, we think of peace as transactional, right? We think of peace as something I have to get. And so I search for it. I try to manipulate it. I look for something that will bring me peace. I try to get rid of the peace robbers and killers in my life. I try to find something that's going to bring me peace. So peace is both circumstantial and transactional according to the world. Here's the problem. The problem is we go on this endless search for peace and we never find it. We never find it, it's a vicious cycle. I'm looking for peace, I have something that I think circumstantially will bring me peace, and then the shark comes again. I try to find it in this, and I try to get rid of that, and all of a sudden, peace is gone. This pursuit is a never-ending pursuit. And can I tell you a secret? The more you try to pursue peace, the more elusive it becomes. In fact, can I tell you what happens, what peace does in our pursuits in this world is it actually entangles us in a web of of lack of peace. It entangles us in a web of anxiety. It entangles us in a web of worry. It entangles us in a web of fear, right? The pursuit of peace according to the world standards, circumstance and transaction will always lead us to the bondage of fear and anxiety and worry and concern. It always leaves us in the web of bondage. This is why today in our day, anxiety is at all-time high. This is why more people are worried than ever before. This is why mental health is, is rampant. Now, there's a reality of this, and we need to be sensitive to this. We need to have things like mental health teams to help people along in their journey. But it's true. Why are we feeling that? You and I both feel this. Why? It's because the search for peace is elusive and never comes. It's not like the world gives to us. Because it's always circumstantial and always transactional. So Jesus responds. He responds to this. He says, listen, this peace, it's radically different than that. This peace is different than all those other things. And he responds by giving a command. Notice it. He says, this peace I give to you. It's going to be different than the world gives, but this peace I give to you. Then he says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Oh, wait a minute. Remember this chapter 14, verse 1? He comes back to it. Let not your hearts be troubled. And then he says, neither let them fear. You know what's interesting about fear? Fear always has to have a source, doesn't it? Like when we talk about fear, fear always has a source, right? So for example, right now, if a mouse ran on this stage, some of you are going to be afraid. There's going to be somebody in this room, even some of you at home, you're so afraid of mice that even if you see, saw them here, you would think they're there. And you would maybe get on a chair and you'd scream. But I want you to think about this. If you have a mouse in your home, but then you look over in your kitchen, there's an anaconda snake. 
I think you're gonna choose the mouse every time. And then all of a sudden, let's say there's a lion that walks in your home through your garage wanting to eat. I can guarantee you're not worried about the anaconda. You're not worried about a lion that can attack you. See what I'm saying? There's always a source of fear. There's always something that will define the level of fear. Now watch this. Here's what Jesus is saying. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. Why? Because what Jesus is saying is peace is not the absence of something. Peace is the presence of someone greater. This is what peace is. It's not the absence of something in our lives. It's the presence of some greater being, of some greater person. It's the presence of Jesus Christ. He says, this is the way you overcome. This is what peace is. Let me ask you this today. Let me ask you in Chambersburg. Let me ask you online. When the atmosphere around you dries up, when your health fails, when your friends betray you, when the endeavor you've worked so hard on falters, when you're not appreciated or you're not even noticed, when roads get tough to traverse, when loved ones die, when ministry flounders, when you become heartbroken, where do you go? Jesus said, do not fear. Why? Because there's a greater presence in your life. There's something bigger than all of those things. He says, listen, you don't have to fear cancer. You don't have to fear that bill that you might not be able to afford right now. You don't got to fear that circumstance that seems to be overtaking you like one wave after another. He says, do not fear why? Because there's something greater in your life and it's me. In fact, I want to prove this to you. If you flip a page or you turn in your electronic device, just one page, chapter 16, he is going to wrap up this conversation before they go out into the garden where he will pray right before he's arrested. And he's going to say these words in chapter 16, verse 33. He's going to end this conversation with this statement. He says this. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. What is he saying? He is saying, by my absence, you get my presence. Me going to the cross and going to the empty tomb and eventually ascending into heaven, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. My Holy Spirit will be the calming presence of my peace in your life. That's what he says to them. And he says, so listen, do not fear. Why? Because I've overcome the world. I've overcome cancer. I've overcome that financial situation. I've overcome. I've got that authority. I stand in that presence. By the way, I love that whatever God commands, he always gives us the capacity to do. Like, like here, he commands, I give you peace. So don't fear. Guess what? He gives capacity. So, so how do we do that? How do we, I, I want to give you this answer. Peace begins with a mindset. Begins with a mindset. Every one of us here, Everyone watching, everyone there in Chambersburg, your mind is set on something, right? We, we know this, peace, the mind we have always sets itself on something. And so we're talking about peace. So what does it look like to set our minds on peace? Now think about it, where, where is our mind set? Can, can I tell you what's happening in the church world all over our country? Is we're beginning to take our eyes off the thing that matters most. 
One of the things I say to our church all the time is let's keep the main thing, the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we begin to turn on the news. We begin to listen to the political pundits. We, we begin to watch what's happening in culture. We begin to read those reports and all of a sudden what happens now our fear turns to these things and we wonder why we don't feel peace. We wonder why we're not experiencing peace. Here's why, let me tell you. And I believe Jesus is getting at this point. And that is, whatever captivates your mind will control your life. Whatever captivates your mind will control your life. Let me prove it to you. Back in Isaiah, the, the prophet, he writes this. He, he says, you, God, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because when your mind is steadied on you, you trust him. How about Paul writing in Philippians? He writes these words, the same type of words. He says, the peace of God, which surpasses honor. And you know what Paul's saying there? He makes up his own word. It means you can't reach it. It is beyond reach. It's like, it's like a child trying to get a cookie from the top of the refrigerator. You can't reach it. That's mom and dad territory. But you're reaching. He's like, listen, you're, you, can't, you can't reach it. It's beyond comprehension. It surpasses all understanding. And he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here's what he says. He says, the peace that passes understanding will be the guard at the gate that will go back and forth on your mind and will not let anyone come in. They will be the guard that will stand true. That's the word there. By the way, in Philippi, where Paul writes that, it was known for retired military. And so when Paul writes, listen, peace can guard your mind. He is saying, listen, the peace of God, which is beyond reach, will stand guard. Now you might say, okay, Dave, I get that my mindset. How do I do that? Here's a, here's a thought. The way peace guards our mind is because we know that the one thing that matters most in life, the one thing that if we're being honest, we fear the most in our lives, death, the grave, judgment. These are the things that hold us captive and every other fear finds itself as a crony of that reality. But what we know in Jesus Christ and why you, can, you and I can allow our minds to be guarded by peace is because we know the very thing that we fear the most has been overcome. Therefore, the very thing in life that matters the most has been settled. Think about it. If you've got a bill issue, man, your eternal destiny is settled before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the God who owns it all. Yeah, I gotta figure this bill out, but he's in charge, like he saved me. But like right now, if I get a cancer diagnosis, and I walk through this all the time as a pastor and caring for people, I remind them the greatest thing in your life, the, the, the thing that matters most has been settled at your eternal destiny. What happens, all of a sudden our minds see it and we go, ah, there's peace, there's peace. Inside my home, if you walk into our living room, we have this coffee table and my wife keeps a puzzle constantly at work in our living room. And the idea is to stir conversation and at any moment that we stop and play a game of putting a puzzle together. Now, 
I want to confess to you this is a bit of torture for me. As an A personality, when I see a missing piece, it bothers me. Like, we got to fill that now. But my boys will go by and we'll take a piece and put it in and we'll walk away. We'll take a piece and put it in and walk away. There's been rare occasions where my wife has got this great puzzle going and we're putting it together and we get to the very end of the puzzle and we're missing one piece. One piece. And so we're like, gather the family, gather the family, everybody on our search, we're finding this piece and we're looking under the couch, we're looking in the fridge, we're looking in the, the milk jugs. We're gonna find this one missing piece. Today, in this room, in Chambersburg, in your home right now, maybe you're missing peace. It seems like a little peace, but it leads to real peace. And right now, you don't, you're not experiencing it. And what we read in John 14 is that Jesus says, I got a gift for you. And that gift is peace. Paul says it's a peace that will pass all understanding. And it can come in your life and it can stand guard. It can stand guard of your mind when everything else is crumbling, when the waves are crashing. He can say, I've got you. And today, right now, maybe you would just confess and say, I need that peace. I need, I need him who became my peace to be my peace. And, and right now, in the quietness of this moment, you would be willing to transfer your trust from yourself that will never find peace and turn it to Jesus Christ alone. Maybe God is taking the scales off of your eyes. He's opening your heart and he's inviting you in saying, I got a gift for you. It's called peace. And all you got to do is take it. You got to take it. I'm going to ask us around this room in Chambersburg and online, would you just bow with me? And I believe I would have failed you if I did not take an opportunity to give you a chance to experience this peace. So we're just going to bow our heads wherever you are. No one's going to look around. This is not a moment to embarrass. This is a moment to say there is a God who says, I've given this to you. Before he went to the cross, knowing he was going to provide this for you, he says, I've got something for you. I got a gift that I will secure by my sacrifice. And maybe today, right now, you would say, you know what, Dave? I want the peace of God in my life. I'm tired of chasing elusive peace. I want the peace that is a gift. I'm tired of chasing the peace of the world that never satisfies. I want the peace of Jesus Christ who died for my sins, the thing that holds me captive and walked out of a grave for me. And you would just say, by the raise of your hand, you would say, I want that, Jesus. I want that peace. I want that gift. Anyone like that? Cross campus, is anyone like that? If you're online right now, or even in this room or there in Chambersburg, you could text Jesus. If you made that decision for Christ, to say, I'm going to transfer my trust from myself to Jesus alone, you can text right now, Jesus, to 81411. You can do it right now. There's some people that love to follow up with you, that love to pray with you, talk to you about what that decision is. Again, Jesus to 81411. Now, I want to talk to some of you. You know, you know Christ. But maybe you're walking through the depths of the mire of storms and difficulties and struggles. And right now you would just say, you know what? I need that peace to, to rule. I, I need that peace to guard my heart. 
I need that reminder that it is not like this world. And right now I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what's happening politically. I'm afraid of what's happening at my job. I'm afraid of what's happening at my, at, at my family. I'm afraid of what's happening in my street. I'm afraid of what's happening in my city. And right now God wants to say, no, 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 my peace can rule you. My peace can guard you. And right now you would just say with the raise of your hand, Dave, would you pray for me? Online, you can just message right there and say, I want a prayer. I just want some prayer. Right now you can just say prayer. Chambers, would you just raise your hand and say, would you pray for me? I need the peace of God to rule my heart and mind. See those hands. Anyone else? I'm just going to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not getting spamming your email. I just want to pray for you. Anyone like that? Anyone else? I want peace right now. I know Jesus, but I want peace. I see that. Anyone else? Anyone else? I see those hands. God, we give you thanks. God, you could have left us in the turmoil of our sin, the turmoil of our death that was sure in us. But no, you, Jesus, there in that upper room before you went to the cross, you knew exactly what you were gonna do. You were gonna go to that cross and you were gonna secure a peace that became a gift for us. And you, the God of the universe, became our peace. So that now we can say that our minds are steadied. Why? Because we trust in you. That Lord, what can, can capture our mind is not what the world offers. What captures our mind is not what that news report says. What captures our mind is not what the medical report says. But God, what captures our mind that controls our life is you. So God, have your way. Have your way in us. We thank you for that peace. And I pray today, all of those who maybe raise their hand or ask for prayer, that you would just reign and rule over them, that your peace would stand watch over their minds and they would remember that the greatest thing in life is settled. They don't have to seek it. It's done. It's accomplished. That's their eternal destiny in you. Jesus Christ, our Savior, our King, we thank you. Our peace giver, our Prince of Peace. May anxiety fall. May worry flee. And may heads rise because we know you. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.